I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. Today's conversation is one that is really, really important to me. Uh, around two months ago, uh, one of my dear friends in the UK, uh, Kevin, who's a banker, but also a very nice human being, Kevin basically came to me and said, you have to meet this startup. This is really, really trying to change things in the uh, mental well-being, in the, in the well-being space in general. And I was like, yeah, Kevin, you know, maybe not and so on. And he said, just do it for me. I need you to meet them. And uh, we went for a coffee and I sit with the, uh, uh, with the team and they are pitching me an idea where I found myself sitting down silently watching the demo of a ready for production app and interface and website and so on that basically blew me away. I sat down, I didn't say a word. And later the founder of the business sort of told me I got really worried. Like, why are you not saying anything? Because cheesy as it sounds, they got me at hello. The minute I saw the original interface, I basically decided in my mind that that actually might be the answer. I'll tell you why in a minute, but just for full disclosure, uh, I ended up investing in the organization because they have one free component to it that is actually free for everyone, basically, and could make a massive difference to mental well-being and well-being in general. I started to be on their board of directors and to be an advisor for the technology side of what they're trying to do in an attempt to also help them create a business that can keep their nonprofit arm afloat and sustainable and successful. The company is called Jack, just ask any question. So J-A-A-Q. And they were founded by Danny Gray. Danny is well, very well known in the UK for having one of the most successful Dragon Dins pitches, basically about an idea that was very personal to him uh, when he did it, which is to provide men's makeup. Interestingly, I never thought about that. Like I would definitely never wear makeup, but when I heard Danny's story, I understood why that actually really matters. I will not take a lot of your time on the introduction. Danny is super passionate about making sure that no one suffers what he had to suffer. And in my mind, these are the kinds of entrepreneurs and founders and change makers that actually make a massive difference because they are not driven by the business. They are driven by, I don't want anyone to ever feel as bad as I felt. When I met Danny for the first time, he was the one that said, I don't want to make a dollar on any of this. I was the bad guy that said, you have to build that sustainable infrastructure of business that makes you change the world with the money of businesses. We're going to come into all of that and discuss with you what I believe is one of the ideas that can really, really change your outlook on your mental health, uh, on your well-being, and on how to develop habits that can absolutely improve your world. 
so Danny Gray and Jack, thanks for being here, my friend. A pleasure. And uh, I'm not sure what's after that intro. I feel a bit embarrassed. Uh, no, you should be embarrassed. You should be very, very proud. Even though I have to say, I was blown away. I mean, the first time we met, your passion to start was overwhelming. I think this, by the way, is very shy. I don't know if you know that, but everyone I introduced to you will come back to me with two comments. They'll say, Jack is incredible, but Danny is so passionate. And it seems to me that if people don't know your story, they would not actually understand why would anyone be so passionate about this. You, to, to you, this is it. This is the purpose of your life. This is what you're trying to achieve with your life. And it comes from a very personal story. And I, I know it's difficult to share this in public, but we discussed that you may be willing to tell people why you got into that space, why you got into men's makeup in the yeah. first place. So do we want to start there? Of course. So it all goes back to when I was sort of 12 years old. So um, I was always said I was a bit of a Jack the Lad in, in the UK. We would say Jack the Lad, a bit of a like sport, right? Likes girls and all of that. And I was 12 years old, not caring the world. I, th I think I was pretty popular at school. And then I was on the playground one day and my ears actually were right angles to my head at the time. They stuck out. And there was four boys on the playground and out of nowhere, they just literally turned around and started taking the mick out of my ears. So they were singing like the R. Kelly song, I Believe I Can Fly and Flapping Their Ears. Uh, so I always say, I can't listen to R. Kelly anymore, which is a bonus, Mo, with everything he's <laughs> going through. Um, but honestly, it, it, I'd never even taken a notice of my appearance. And I can remember just going home that day, looking in the mirror and going, oh my God, my ears do stick out. And then look, within four months, my mum had um, spoke to the NHS and now my ears pinned back. So that shows me at sort of 12 years old, how much it must have affected me. But look, I was only bullied for a couple of weeks. It didn't go on and on and on, but that was it for me. Started obsessing about my ears, hadn't pinned back. But as I grew, that obsession became worse. Other things overtook it, right? So got to 15, 16, I got a spot, not necessarily acne, but that was a massive issue for me. And just a spot, turned to my sister, it was just turned around and gave me a little bit of concealer. Um, so basically a concealer is something you just put on to cover your blemishes. And I, honestly, mate, I couldn't believe what a product could do and how easy it was and how it was, a. it's just all of a sudden my fears went. So I've been wearing makeup for the last 20 years, I've got it on today. Um, but look, that's why I went into men's makeup because I wanted to create a brand, but 15, 16 using makeup, it didn't fix the issue because I was using these tools, but my mind was just getting worse and worse. So got to 18, 19, 20 years old, it could take me hours to get ready. I'm talking hours, three, four hours, five showers. Yeah, like really bad. And, and when I didn't understand my mindset, my mind, I can remember I was living at home with my mum and I'd come downstairs and I was so, my anger from getting changed, I mean, I'd just be ripping my t-shirts off and punching holes in walls. And my mum would sit there and, the, and she would say, but you look amazing, you always do. And in my head, I was like, that's not helping me. But I didn't know how to articulate that to my mum. Mm. So I just didn't really speak to anyone about it. And then got to about 28, 29. I thought I was losing my hair. Mm. And as you can see, I'm quite fortunate. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I have a lot of hair. <laughs> I literally got in the car at work and I just looked in the rearview mirror and there was a gap here. And that was it for me, mate. Two years ruined my life. So every minute of every day, it's all I thought about. I said, I was like, I'll be driving home for hours. And not even know I've drived because I'd be just looking at rearview mirror. So much so I punched my rearview mirrors off my car. And then, yeah, yes, it professionally got worse and worse. And I went to then, effectively, I had a, I don't call it a breakdown, but drinking drugs, going out all the time. Four o'clock in the morning at 30 years old, I woke up my mother in law, of all people, 
because I was at the brink and just said, I just can't deal with it anymore. So that was it, mate. But then... So this is like two bullies in school, 12 years old, and they completely reconfigure your life, right? They reconfigure your view of yourself. They reconfigure your view of life itself. They lead you in a direction where you're unable to deal with the world. And this happens every single day. Now, I think thousands and thousands of people are suffering through this right now. So I want you to tell me a little bit about about the inner side of this. Like, what was going on? How far did it go for you? How how were you able to even deal with yourself at that time at all? So when I got to about, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 going out, like a lot of people do at that age, I can remember it was me getting ready. It was just part of me and taking that long hours. And I could literally, man, I could be getting ready, get my outfit ready. And I could sit in front, stand in front of the mirror for two hours doing my hair. Two hours. Is this normal, by the way? I mean, yeah, it's called it's, it's, a, it's an actual condition or mental health called body dysmorphic disorder or BDD. So at the time, I had no idea BDD yeah. existed. And I think that's half the problem. I just didn't understand it. And BDD is an obsession about the way you look. So it's called body dysmorphic disorder. So it can be an obsession about anything, right? It could be your weight. It could be some people have it about their wrists. Okay, and it's, wrists. Yeah, it could be. So effectively, it's something that is. You probably don't notice on me, but for me, it's I'm hypercritical about it. So the, it, it can the BDD. I think almost everyone has BDE, right? It's like a scale. So you know, people take care of their appearance, right? Or they when they go out, they might put a nice shirt on. So there's a form of BDD, but then it can gradually get worse and worse and worse. So I was yeah, like yeah, this yeah, end yeah. of the spectrum yeah. where it controls your life. So. For me to get ready, it was just unbearable. But I just thought it was me. I didn't understand why I did it and take hours. For example, my mates would come round to go out for the night out. They're all ready. We, and they would say, Dan, the cab's coming at nine o'clock, right? Disaster for me, Mo. Soon as someone puts a time on it, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, so, because I won't go out until I feel comfortable going yeah, out. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, so they put a time pressure on me. I'm getting ready a few times because I know of cab's coming. My, my anxiety's gone. So I could get ready seven times. And because of that time pressure of the cabs coming, the cabs coming, you've got to hurry up, hurry up. I just couldn't manage it. And then, you know, I would sometimes force myself to go out, not not feeling comfortable. And I'm quite life and soul of the party, like a good time, bit of a laugh. I just wouldn't say a word when I'm out because my anxiety is as if someone's around my neck. And, and what are you feeling? You're feeling that people are looking at you, that you're, something's wrong with you? Not necessarily. Do you know what it was? It wasn't necessarily people looking at me. It was just I thought I looked awful. So I wasn't comfortable when I went out. Yeah, people looking at me, but it's just myself I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't look right. That's... And so I just wouldn't be the same. I wouldn't be the same person. I've got it. A little, I'll be honest, mate. I've got it right now, this second. So you would still be conscious around the way you look? Yeah, and I don't know what, like, I have good days and bad days still, right? But I've learned to manage it a lot better. Well, right now, I just don't feel 100% comfortable in what I'm wearing. You see, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's the, almost the exact opposite of me. So I have no concept of how I look at all. This, this is why I'm always very comfortable in black t-shirts. Every now and then, I would date a woman that wants to sort of brag about me. So she would start to say, wear a shirt. And I'm like... Yeah, okay, I'll wear a shirt. What difference does it make? I'm almost the exact opposite of this. And in a very interesting way, to me, it's like, yeah, I look like the way I look. I struggle to understand why does it matter at all. But then for you, that was the center of your life. Yeah. It, it's even like packing, right? Packing to come here for four days. 
It's just disaster, mate. Is it? Yeah, because uh, like even though I'm a lot better than I am now, my clothes are a massive thing for me at the minute. And BDD, that's what happens as well. You can move away from one obsession to another. So I moved from my ears to my hair, moved away from my hair, and now clothes are a big thing for me. Like just about Is feeling it? comfortable, yeah, to the point where I I packed and I thought I packed well. And then halfway here, I'm thinking, oh, I should have put those shoes in. And that just, that's <laughs> yeah. been controlling my yeah. mindset for a long time. Unbelievable, yeah. It's so interesting how we vary as humans, right? So I always had that sort of being conscious. And I, I always joke about this because I was conscious about my voice, okay? I never really liked my voice at all. I thought it sounded horrible. And reality is a lot of people say I sound quite interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, I get quite a few wonderful messages about my voice. I have to admit to you, I think I would say the same about the way you look. You're a very handsome man, very well-dressed, very presentable in almost every way. And I think your spirit, the spirit that you bring to every conversation, the passion that you bring to everything that you do, almost supersedes that and just brings a wonderful personality. If I didn't know that you went through BDD, I would have never guessed that you even worry about this because I'm almost certain you get a few interesting flirts every now and then, wherever you go. It's quite interesting. But when you told me the story, you told it to me in a way that was the peak of empathy and compassion. Okay. So rather than you, which by the way, a lot of people would do rather than you saying, you know what, I hate those bullies. I'm going to go and take revenge at, at any bully in school and whatever. You went the opposite way. You, you said, I struggled with this. I didn't have the resources. I don't want anyone else to struggle. So to start with, I wanted to know, how did you become better? Who helped you? When I got to about 30, I, I literally, the hair loss thing was just, it ruled every minute of every day to the point where I literally couldn't function in the day. So I was going out and I worked my mother-in-law up of all people. And it's almost the point, this is what's happening with mental health at the minute. People wait, 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 wait to crisis. And then they reach out. So the average length is 10 years from when someone first feels something to when they actually reach out. Is that true? The average length. And that's, because when you're feeling something over here and you're not sure what it is, like, no, I'm telling you now, no one's going to speak about it. As much as this thing we need to speak about mental health, like people up here aren't going to do it. They wait till they hit crisis and I did that. And eventually woke my mother-in-law up and just said that I can't manage. Everyone knew I had something, by the way. Everyone knew about, I, like my mother-in-law, when I first met her, she said, I thought you were just vain because... What would happen to me when I'm getting ready, if I don't feel comfortable, I'm checking myself all the time. So I did it a minute ago in the bathroom, okay? And luckily your bathroom's got pretty decent lighting. So I was actually like, oh, I don't look too bad, right? You look but, amazing. <laughs> but get, but if you're, I, you're, you're the kind of man that there are other men feel jealous about. Yeah. It's the truth. This hair, I hate you. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. But you, you, sorry to interrupt you, but you, so you keep checking yourself. Yeah. And that's if I don't feel comfortable Yeah, and I'll keep checking. But the, the flip side, if I feel comfortable in how I look and what I'm wearing, I will purposely not look at myself. So because the, uh, there could be a time I remember I went into, the reason I do that actually is because I was going into London once, felt comfortable to meet my mates. I was going up on the train. This is when I was at my peak and I felt comfortable, felt good. And I was literally on the train and I just looked like that. And you know the train when it's dark, it's yeah, yeah you see that your reflection. reflection. I just went, and you never look good in that reflection anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, oh no, my hair's not right. And then that was it for me. I was mm. spent the whole train journey in the toilet, mm. and I got there. So I've got that thing now. I just don't, I don't check myself. But anyway, so 
it got worse and worse. Went mother up at four o'clock in the morning, and they all knew I had something, but they just didn't. No one knows how bad it is up here, and I think that's a lot of the thing with mental health, right? Even if you think someone's they're not right, they're probably twenty times worse in their heads because they don't show it as well. And then, but then it was I just broke down, so I just can't deal with it anymore. And then the next day, I can remember everyone came. We were in the kitchen because it was four o'clock in the morning, and in the support network, right? And then my fiance Kirsty was like, "Look, you've." You've got something called BDD. Someone saw a therapist a few times, only had four sessions. But as soon as I could release it, mm. people understood it. And then I started researching it and looking into it. And that was the whole thing for me about information. I started to manage it better. But a good example of that, then my mates really knew how bad it was. My, mate, my mates knew, right? My mates knew that it was bad. So a flip to that whole time thing. The next time I was with my best mate, he was downstairs. I was getting ready. He was downstairs with my mum having a beer. I came down and went, and so what I wouldn't have done before was say I'm struggling. Like I would never have said that. I just kept getting ready. So I came downstairs because I learned you need to stop if you're, you know, because it will just get worse and worse. So I came and said, mate, I'm really struggling. And he said, don't worry, mate. He says, the night's not going anywhere. I've got a beer. So take as long as you want. And then mm. I got ready in 15 minutes. Mm. So that support network, it clicked with me how important it is for them to understand something as much as it is for me. So... Look, I'm not perfect now, but I'm 37, nearly 38. I know you can't tell, mate, because I'm wearing war paint. Mm -hmm. Plug, oh, plug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, no, seriously. Uh, but it's been eight years, and I still, but I've learned how to manage it, right? So where before getting ready, if I didn't feel comfortable, I can still go and be okay now. Where before it, it, I wouldn't be able to do that. So tell me about war paint. Your first attempt to help others is you're saying, look. I don't know how you came up with the idea of makeup to start because in a very interesting way, it's almost like getting yourself ready to be bullied differently. Like a man with makeup could also be very bullied at the time. But that's only because the way you perceive it, right? So yeah. this is the whole thing for me. Yeah. I wore makeup, no one knew I was wearing it. I, right. I wouldn't know, yeah. So that that was the point. So when, when I started wearing makeup, I, it took me five minutes. It was really, it was just about even out my skin tone. It's not enhancing, which everyone, like, I think your perception probably of makeup is lipstick, eyeliner. I would notice someone's wearing makeup. So for me, it was about simple products used in a simple way. So I used to go to my local supermarket and steal, steal it. <laughs> did right? you? Yeah, because I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Or where did I go to find out information? I'm looking at tutorials and it's all women doing it on women, taking 45 minutes. I'm like, that's too much for me. So I kept it the same where I've been using makeup for 20 years. There must be a brand that comes out that hits it on the head for a guy because the education is different, the product's different, mm. it's thinner. And I just kept saying, it must be a brand, must be a brand, and nothing came around. And then I was I was on the golf course. Funny enough, there's a golf course out there, mate. It's beautiful. <laughs> I was on the golf course one day with my best mate, and he just turned around to me and said, you've got to stop talking about it, about a men's makeup brand, just do it. And it was like something flicked in my head, and I couldn't wait to get off the golf course to go and start building this brand. Because people were trying to do it, but I was looking at the brands that they were creating. There's three or four that came out. I was like, That's, it, it, it's not right. And I, they, people creating those brands weren't the consumer. Well, I was the consumer. So I thought I knew what the brand should be. So that's where Warpaint started. And Warpaint still is for men that are not trying to appear glamorous, right? So this is not for boy George. Yeah. Well, look, it's, look I say it's for anyone, but our, my audience, right? Because a lot of people were saying, look, a lot of people have a perception of men's makeup right eyeliner color i was like there's a huge market out there of guys especially this is the thing for me i know there's a lot of guys out there who won't try something because of the connotations that come with it and that's my whole philosophy in life just do something it makes you feel good 
as long as you're not hurting anyone. And that for me was makeup as well. And like, since I launched Warpaint, the amount of messages I got, and this is the whole thing, but when you start doing something and it improves people's lives or yes. it is the feeling, mate, it's unbelievable. And I got one message, we'd only launched a couple of months and the mum messaged us saying, I've got a 16 year old boy, he has rosacea. So his skin's red and it's really affecting him. He won't, he will never have a photo taken. Right, doesn't want to go out. And I tried to convince him to try makeup and he wouldn't. I showed him your brand, he loved it. And then she sent him, she sent us a picture of him. Saying, I'm crying, sending this. Mm. Because now he can. And then I knew, mate, I knew that's it. That's what the brand's about. It's not about the products, it's about just giving people choice. And I'm not saying it's for men, but I'm not saying you have to buy just for men products. I'm saying, go and buy women's, buy whatever you want, but maybe just try it. Just give it go because you just, you know, one little thing, it might. And what I want to say, though, is that I don't think it's going to fix everything, but just to use use stuff that you feel comfortable to do, even if you, people think you shouldn't, it could really benefit you. So when you told me the story when we first met Danny in that coffee shop was, to me, it triggered within me something. Of course, it triggered a lot of compassion for your teenage years, but but it also triggered that idea of everyone is struggling with something And it's so difficult for you when you're sitting within it to understand it and pinpoint it, right? But when you do, and you know what it is, you realize there are so many others that are going through it as well. So the idea of maybe I don't struggle with this because as I said, you know, I really don't give a shit how I look like. But it seems to me that there are so many men now, when you, do, when you told me the story, I started to look around me at men that are really close to me. And I started to observe this in them. And believe it or not, I started to have some of those conversations and they had no clue. And these are grown men in their late 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they didn't know that they were struggling with this. So it seems to me that everyone is struggling with something, but very few of us are aware of what, th what that thing is. And I think that was when your idea for Jack started to come to reality, right? So tell me a bit about how you came to this and what is different about Jack? Why was I blown away by Jack? Just quickly about what you said there as well. You know, you say about, this is what annoys me a little bit, right? So when you say the word mental health, everyone thinks it's someone's ill and has got something wrong with I, them. I, I, with you, I agree with you. It's 100%. depression, it's anxiety, yeah. it's BDD, right? They can't go on. Like everyone has mental health. Mental health and the word healing actually really gets to me. Healing means I'm sick, yeah. right? And basically it's it's positioning it as there is something really, really, really wrong, right? Everyone on, every, there's not one person on this planet that's not affected by mental Absolutely. health. Absolutely. Like, it's some, and it's not just about the negative of it, it's everything. It's every, and that's what I want to do with Jack. Like mental health is, it's like physical health, right? So if you break your arm on physical health, oh, you've broken your arm, but that's not just physical health. Physical health is everything. Everything is about your heart, it's about your lungs, it's about your muscles, it's about your brain, it's about everything. It's a bit like mental health. Like we talk about conditions, there's a lot more to it. So, and everyone has a problem, by the way. You know, everyone has something they're dealing with. But that, so what happened? I, I had Warpaint going, it was going well, we were scaling, got a lot of press interest, which was interesting. What was that Dragon Den's pitch? I did not see this one. Yeah, so we, it's funny, I went viral before Dragon's Den on Twitter negatively around the world. Which was, Negatively? Yeah, yeah, we had eight, eight million views in 24 hours on an ad on Twitter. Uh -huh. And it trended number one in the world. So we were on CNN, we were on every news article, but it was toxic masculinity, basically oh. ripping the brand to shreds. And before that time on Warpaint, I was still ashamed of it. 
believe it or not, right? So I created a brand, but my story was over here, like hidden away. Because the other thing with mental health, I always talk about this, is that my close mates knew I wore makeup and it wasn't a problem, but I was more worried about the people I didn't care about, the outer circle, about what they would think. So when I created Warpaint, I didn't want a lot of people to know about it. So anyway, put this ad out and everyone was just lambasting the brand and saying, this is a joke just by women's makeup. It's toxic masculinity. And I was thinking, well, this is everything I've been battling against. But what I noticed is that no one was talking about my story in that negativity, right? No one looked at my story and said, well, actually, there's a story behind it. So went viral on the Tuesday. On the Thursday, I was filming Dragon's Den. Wow. So I was literally driving to Manchester to film it. And I had to pull over to do interviews on the phone to America, mm. getting, getting hammered. So I made a conscious decision then that I was going to tell the world that, look, I've got body dysmorphic disorder and I wear makeup and it's okay. And luckily the pitch went extremely well. Like the next day it went viral. Uh, that night it went viral when it launched. And the next day, Daily Mail were like best one in 14 years. And it, the flip happened. So everyone was giving a lot of love to me telling my story and have created this brand. And that was a big shift change for me about it's nothing to do with the product. A business is nothing to do with the product. It is, especially a commodity product like makeup, like skincare. The product's the product. It's about what the mission is and the brand and what your, your purpose is. Um, so I made a conscious decision to push the brand more toward the, our story. So we filmed everything, put everything out. But what was happening then, mate, I was getting loads of people message me, even guys to say something like this. I love the brand. I love what you're doing, but I'm not ready for makeup. Right. So some people see that as negative. I, you know, I flip that to say, if you look at a fashion brand, how often do they get messages from people to say, I love your brand. Love what you do. Don't like your clothes though. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And then I was getting messages from people because I was so vocal about my mental health saying, it's amazing what you're doing for mental health. Can you, can I have a talk or can you help me? So I was doing calls late at nights with mums, dads, young guys, girlfriend and boyfriend, just giving them some, not advice. They just asking questions about confidence, about my story. And that's when it hit me square in the face, mate, around the lack of information. And it was one, it was one girl reached out to me on Instagram, right? Said her boyfriend, has just, she's been with him two years, just told him, told her that he has BDD. She didn't know, but he's in crisis. Can we have a call? So I was like, of course. So it was a Zoom on a Friday night. And he, she sat there, he sat behind. And he's in absolute bits. He can't even look at me. And she's like that. Like, I tell him he looks great all the time. And I said, look, I'll be honest. If When you said that to me in my worst space, probably the worst thing you could say. Yeah, and she, he's behind doing this to me. And she's like, why? I'm like, because nothing about when I'm getting ready, I'm so anxious someone saying that to me isn't going to help. It's more like take a breath or stop. And she was, he was like that. So anyway, it dawned on her. And then after that call, I was like, oh my God. And this is the other thing as well, right? So he's in crisis. He's wait, he waited to reach out. He went to the NHS. The lead time to see a specialist, right? Bear in mind he's in crisis because he went to his local GP, so he got to see a specialist. Uh, 36 week lead time. So this guy's in crisis, got to go 36 weeks. And then they said they were trying to find information and they just, it was so mismatched and they didn't know where to go. So that's when he reached out to me. So what I did was tell my personal journey. Mm. So it takes sometimes years to actually find out what your problem is or your challenge is. And when you seek a specialist, there is no answer for you because it will take you 36 weeks to see someone. Yeah, and, and often the answer from the specialist is take a couple of pills or whatever. Absolutely. In the first, when you see a specialist, the first three sessions, it's just about giving you information. Giving you information. Yes. So it's not diagnosis. It's just because what happens when you go and imagine that guy, right? He's panicking, right? 
so he's in crisis. He's not going to say anything. He goes to that expert. Do you know what he's going to do for the whole first session? Mm -hmm. Fill a form, probably. That's it. <laughs> Sit and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be nervous. So that he might break out and say a few things. He goes away. The doctor has said a lot of stuff to him. Doesn't process it all, right? So you go back to the next session. Maybe he might speak a little bit, get more information. So his first three sessions are just about information given. So it dawned on me I was with some, using some tech around, imagine if we could create a safe space where people can go to get the right information from the right people. And with lived experience, I thought it could change the world. Because for me, as much as it is about the recovery, the biggest gap out there in the minute is information and how you receive it. Because there's lots out there, yeah. like Google, YouTube, but how do you find that information? And I was thinking, well, that's, that's it for me. Especially, you know, I said about 10 years, the 10 years. People are a year and two years in, three years, four years, they're not going to go to the doctor. They're not. So where do they go at the minute? You go on Google. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> but look, Google, unbelievable, right? Unbelievable business. However, it can take you down a bit of a rabbit warren. And is it curated for mental health? If you put in what is depression in Google, at the minute you get 3.2 billion hits, right? And it, obviously then it tears it. The first five are the most ranked. So the first one is NHS. Go and click on it. You've just got what is depression and it's just text for three pages. And all we've got to look at is how has everything moved now? Social media. So it used to be Facebook. So posting on a forum, it advanced. Then what came? Instagram, pictures. And what is it now? TikTok. Yeah, that's right. So if you, so that format of reading some text and digesting it, no empathy. How you read it is very different to how it's written. And then all that does, do you know what that does? You've got another hundred questions you want to ask. Yeah. So you go back to Google. Put in that other question, you go somewhere else. And that was the problem for me. And so that's why I, I came up with the concept of Jack about immortalizing these lead. And the other thing, just quickly, sorry, these leading experts, right, from a clinical perspective, you're not going to get in front of them. You're not going to get their information, which is gold dust. So imagine that's what I think. We have leading experts in one place that you come that's completely free, get the right information. Yeah. Change the world, mate. I mean, I, I, th I think the trick really is that look at my attempt to make the world better, right? I have endless numbers of videos, hours and hours, thousands of hours of content on YouTube, on the internet, on several websites, articles written about my work, books out there, right? And I still get the question. I still get people DMing me, okay, saying, I want to kill myself. What can I do, right? It seems to me that there is nowhere anywhere. And by the way, I had a shocking, it was shocking. Yesterday I was having a coffee with a friend and he is part of a men's circle, right? So these are 12 very high ranking, very successful executives, right? Business people with the fancy cars. So when they get together, there are 12 fancy cars parked outside. And he said, last week's sessions broke me down. I have to talk to you. So I told him, let's meet for coffee. And he tells me there were five of the 12 executives that showed up that day that have contemplated suicide and attempted suicide, even though their public image is incredibly positive, incredibly successful, conquer all, win it all. And they are breaking down to the point that they're contemplating taking their lives and attempting to take their life. Now, the reality is 
there is no place for for anyone that gets to that stage to actually find an answer. And if you go and search Google and get, or YouTube, I, I love Google and YouTube and what Google and YouTube have done for us. But unless you really know what you're doing and unless you're lucky that day, you might end up giving up basically. So when you showed me, Jack, the idea of starting from a question is quite remarkable. So give me a few examples, you know, some questions that you find people Yes, yeah, so what, what, exactly what you're saying. We wanted to. I want to create a place where people can come and just type in or ask a question or put a word in. So you can come as Jack and put in something like depression, and you literally get a list of all of our questions on the platform. So there's over ten thousand questions on the platform, varying from all different types of topics and information. And then you can literally just click on a question and get to the right person to answer that question for you. How does the person answer? Uh, so what we do is pre-record. Yeah. Uh, experts or people with lived experience, right? So we've got experts over here and people who have been through something and we film hundreds of questions. It's between 100, 150, sometimes a little bit less about, so depression, right? So, but the simple questions to these leading experts, what is depression? How do I know if I, if I am depressed? How can I support someone with depression? What are the different types of medication for depression? What are the side effects of medication? So all of those answers are in one format and it's someone sat there in front of you, but instead of long form, which you're saying, right, which is a lot of content now, go to YouTube, is a video for, I don't know, 40 minutes of someone talking about depression. People are lost like that and you have to search for the information you're interested in. So what this, hopefully what Jack is, is a user-led platform where you get to the right question and the right answer for you that is most important to you rather than going onto YouTube to, and put depression in and watch a video for 45 minutes to an hour of someone doing a talk on depression where your question might just be, how can I support someone with depression? How old are you when you can get depressed? Yeah. And so in that case, you'll have two or three experts that have answered a question like that in video. And then basically they'll be talking to me sort of answering that question. Yeah. And the other thing for me is that the way we film it is a lot of content now is off camera. So people aren't looking directly at the camera, which is still great content, but we film them looking down the barrel of the camera. So it feels like you're having a conversation with that person. And the other thing for me is there's a lot of stuff in the media at the minute about mental health. Like we need to talk. We get it, Mo. Like, and that's all, absolutely, and that's all the message is for the last 15 years. You see documentaries, you see everything, and at the end, it's just we need to talk where yeah. a lot of people aren't ready. So, what I think Jack could be is that a place where people can go to before they're ready to have the conversation to feel like they're having a conversation with someone. When we met, you you were attempting to, so you had jack.org, what you showed me was org, right? And your dream, your attempt was. I'm going to help millions and millions of people come to this place. It's all volunteers. I think at the time you had like 60 or 65 experts, some very famous footballers and some very, very deep clinicians or psychologists or therapists and so on and so forth. What was your vision for that? I mean, what was your expectation? How would you have kept this going? So well, the, the reason I came up with it is because of Warpaint, of always those people reaching out. So my main thing was... Let's talk about big organizations quickly. So I think there's a lot of organizations out there who do things to tick a box. Yeah. So, the, you know, they become a, a billion pound organization. So oh, we must do something uh, to give back. Let's, I don't know, let's donate 1% of our profits to a foundation or create our own foundation. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Because. I know that. It's, 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 it's a 1% on the bottom line out of our profit. You give it to someone who creates a foundation, no sort of capital involved. Okay, the foundation does great work, but they're, they're just doing it to tick a box. So I felt a little bit like that with Warpaint. So I was doing this, I was selling this product 
but I wasn't doing anything. And I was talking about mental health, but I was doing nothing to actually get people's mind right. So what I, the concept of Jout was, it's got to be free for everyone because that's needed. So the whole, when I started it, I wanted to do it as a charity. Yeah. Right? I'm yeah. like, right, well, it's got to be a charity. It's yeah. got to be a charity. So got this concept, but like anything, you need money. And especially the scale and the depth I want to do with this technology I wanted to build, like filming these experts, it was a lot of sweat capital involved. So I wanted it to be free, always free, but I soon came to a, a bit of a hole where going out like this now, asking for money as a charity, yeah. it's not going to work anymore. It did work for a long time. But so now we've moved it into an actual business, but the platform is always going to be free because... I'm telling you now, mate, the feeling of what you get when you're helping that many people is just outweighs, Absolutely. outweighs yeah. anything. I mean, I, I struggled with that myself because when I started OneBillionHappy.org, the immediate thing that happened, of course, because of my background and my network and my connection is that I started to get donors coming to me and saying, okay, so can we contribute to OneBillionHappy.org? And as a sort of tax write-off for most of them, basically. It's just, we know you, we think you're going to do well. And that really was something I did not accept because I've worked with many, many .orgs in my life, nonprofits, and for most of them, eventually it becomes 80% of your effort to go out and raise funding, right? 80% of your team is out there trying to raise funding, which makes the funding effectiveness quite questionable when you think about it because 80% is just spent on making, creating more funds. And in my view, that that's not a very effective way of surviving. And when I worked at Google, what Google used to say is, uh, you know, we change the world, not as a charity, we change the world by creating things that help the world become better. Right? How do you create those things? By being a successful business that's bringing enough revenue that allows you to put enough money into R&D and so on and so forth. And so when we met, I was pushing back against that idea of a charity, right? Even if, it, if you have the lineup of sponsors, like what I did with One Billion Happy is I decided, no, I'm not going to accept any money from anyone. I'm going to contribute to One Billion Happy as a way of making sure that One Billion Happy's effort is entirely focused on the purpose, not on raising money. Okay. And I'll raise the money, you know, sometimes when I do a talk at a corporate or whatever, I'm getting, I'm being paid a lot of money so I can contribute to 1 billion happy as a result. What's your answer now with Jack? What are you, what are you trying to do so that you create a sustainable form of business that is at the same time committed to being available for free to everyone? So for me, exactly what you said, right? and I was naive to it at the beginning about creating this charity, and I thought that's what you have. The most committed visionaries actually come across as naive. That's not at all naivete. That's that's optimism about life, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it hit me square in the face, like all I'll be doing is raising money and not moving this business. So what is now is we're going to create a business that's going to change the world, and but we need to make money to change the world. So the .org, which is this free site, it's always going to be free. Right, people can access it. It's wealth of information, but what we're doing is we're monetizing over here in different ways. So there's a couple of things we're doing. So we're landing some big contracts with some big organisations around creating these conversations in their workplace, but to sell product. Right. So organisations are paying us to create these amazing conversations to sell product, and we're helping them with content to deliver that. And we're also just about to launch in June this year a workplace version of Jack. So on Jack.org. So imagine the .org site, but workplace related, because the same issue, 
that's happening here in the free world, right, on .org, where mental health information is exactly the same in workplace. So in workplace, well-being, there's lots of apps out there and businesses are spending a lot of money. No one uses them. No one understands them. And it's almost a tick box to put them in. So we're having conversations all around workplace, like how returning from maternity and um, conversations all there. So we'll be selling that. We are now into corporates. But what's really nice, and when we speak to corporates, they love the free site. They're blown away by it. And it's almost they want this for their work staff because they also know they can help their customers because they're helping us fund the .org. So the .org is always going to be this free platform, free access, giving information to the people that need it. And then I'll be honest, I'm making money over here because I need to do this. Absolutely. I, I'm not, I'll be honest, I don't enjoy this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, yeah, I but know. I don't enjoy it. I, I, ju like, I actually just had science. that conversation a couple of days ago. You know, someone was telling me, Mo, you're not really putting yourself out there like the other happiness teachers and you should build the, the brand this way and you should do that that way. And I'm like, I don't enjoy this. I really don't. I just want to deliver the result. But you're absolutely right. There is a need for, for you to have the corporates sponsors. It's a bit like what I do with speaking engagements, right? So I'm, I publicly tell everyone, look, if you're a funded organization that is profitable and you want me to come and speak to your team, pay me, right? If you are a non-for-profit or if you are an event that's open to the public or if you are a, a webinar that's, you know, going to reach a thousand people and you're not going to make money on it, I'll come for free. Absolutely, right? So from one side, I want you to, I want the message to reach as, as many people as I can. But at the, at the same time, if you're a profitable business, it doesn't make sense for me to put my effort and cost to travel to you and so on and you don't pay, I'll take that money and then channel it to the free efforts that I uh, am attempting to grow one billion happy now. There is, however, a very big crisis of mental health and well-being in corporates in general. So when you started to approach organizations, what did you feel was the... It's a cookie cutter for what's happening here. Yeah. So it's exactly the same, right? So in the free world, I keep calling it the .org platform, it's the 10 years, people go to hit crisis and there's a lot of support out there for crisis, right? There's call lines, text lines, services, NHS, help, here's stuff to make you better. But where's this gap here, which is missing is where's the information? It's the same in, in corporates, the, right? The corporate They've got a lot of apps there. Utilization's 5%, 5%. Because all these apps they spend money on, it's the same people using the same apps, by the way. So the 95% of workforce on average don't even use these things they're spending money on. I'm saying because you're missing the point, you need something here for people to access, to get information. Then they go and use these resources and try and get them to earlier. Because what's happening in workplace, people don't use the apps until they hit crisis, yeah. right? And then they go and use them. So what I want to do in the workplace is the same we're doing here. Give the information here so people use these services, which you're paying for earlier and use them more. And since we spoke to the corporates, they just are blown away because they know they know that's the problem, right? They've got some of these big organizations have well-being teams. Yeah. You know? And do you know what it's all about? Activation, engagement. And how do you do it in the minute? People aren't interested. Well, there's an app over here for menopause. Well, I don't need that. Oh, there's an app over here for mindfulness. Well, I don't need that. Well, imagine where we come, Jack, was a great new platform for well-being. We've got loads of conversations on there from leading experts across the world about how to set up your desk at home, how to a mindset about time blocking, about da 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 They use this and go, oh. I need mindfulness. And then they would go and yes, use that. Yes, the yeah. same here, mate. All I yeah. want to do with Jack is the people to come to these platforms, ask some questions, and I'll tell you what will happen. They'll go, oh, I think I feel a little bit like that. Actually, I'm going to, now because I've spoke to someone about it and understand it, I'm going to go and reach out because 
Well, the problem with NHS is all about prevention. Everything you look at in medical care is about prevention because it saves money. Right, it's all about money for the NHS. So how do we save money in the NHS? It's not put more resources here. It's about getting people to reach out earlier. Cancer, right? If we can catch people here, it's going to cost us less money to make them better here. Same with mental health. We need people to reach out earlier. And that whole message of just need to talk ain't going to cut it, mate, because a lot of people over here aren't. So I want Jack to be this platform. Not necessarily you're going to come on it and go, oh, I've got something wrong with me. It's like, oh, sleep, right? We've got whole conversations on there about sleep. People don't underestimate sleep, right? About, I didn't know about it until we did the conversation that six hours straight is better than nine hours broken sleep. Simple, right? Oh, okay. Going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time. Little tips like that. People come to our platform and say, I didn't even know that. They make the, t the change here instead of waiting until they have insomnia and go to the doctor and have some pills. So the idea here is, is you're constantly focused on that 10-year thing, which, by the way, I didn't know. So the idea of if I can get to know my challenge early and I can start to have a discreet conversation with someone that has responded to my question before, then I may not end up killing myself uh, with stress or with uh, mental health issues and so on, and then eventually need an intervention because it's too late for me. Imagine me, mate. Yeah. Imagine my situation. Yes. Imagine me at 15 or 16. I ain't speaking to anyone. I ain't going out. But I can imagine there's this cool... The other thing, mate, what we're going to do is make the coolest plan, map, plan, mental health brand on the planet because that's what's missing. There's a lot of amazing stuff out there for mental health, but because it's not relevant, it's not cool, it's not brand. There's no... Men, for me, the mental health... If you create a brand, right, that is people will trust and think it's quite a cool, edgy brand doing stuff. Imagine me at 15, 16 going, oh, I'm just going to go on that jack and then maybe asking some questions and going, oh... At 15, 16, understanding I might have this BDD because mm. I'm doing the same things that person's telling me. What the doctor's saying, I tick every box. Ooh, I might go and look into that and go and speak to someone about it. Mm. If I'd done it at 16, 17, 18, I promise I probably wouldn't be sat here now, right? Because of faith. But yeah. I'm telling you, if I'd, because the only, the only time I got to understand it, I hit crisis, then I started looking into it and understanding it. So imagine me at 16, 17, going to this cool little platform going, oh, I'm telling you now, it would have changed my life because I know. Because anything, eating disorders, we've got Janet Treasure on Jack, right? She's just been classed as the world leader, on the world leader, mm. professor. And when she came to meet me, two things she said that hit me square in the face. One, the most important thing about eating disorders is not therapy, right? The five people supporting them to know how to support that person. I know that for a fact. Right? Yeah. Right? So that's why she's doing it all. And all of these doctors are coming on for free on our platform because they, they want to change the world. And she said, your platform is the first I've ever seen because it's not just about people having an eating disorder problem, right? And going to our platform. Imagine a mum or my mum when I'm smashing my room up, ripping my T-shirts off. Where's my mum going? She's not going to the doctor to speak about it. She's not speaking to her friends about it. Imagine if she knows this platform called Jack. It's got all this cool stuff on it and I can speak to people. I'm telling you now, my mum can go on, ask questions about how to support someone. It would have changed her life and it would have changed, and it would have changed mine. And the other thing Janet said was on eating disorders, like that 10 year, I say, the longer someone has an eating disorder, directly coincides with the recovery period. Yeah. And I was like, so if you get someone who's six months in, a year in recovery, yeah. someone who's been doing it for eight years, 10 years, she said, that's the problem. Yeah, I, I actually, I hosted just a, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Alia, who, who was a speech therapist. And she basically was saying that the biggest, biggest, biggest success factor is from the time your child has a, a speech impediment to the time you bring him to the therapist, if it exceeds two years, your chances of 
recovery are, you know, decline very, very drastically. So taking a quick interaction or getting to know about it, understanding it, you know, why is my child uh, stuttering, for example, uh, within the first two years and then taking them to a specialist. This, this one here, you just talked this bit. Yeah. Where, when people don't know what they've got, or yeah. understands exactly. where they're going at the minute. That's the pro even that person is saying is what yeah. we're trying to do, with Jack, is to create that void. Yeah, that's the biggest. Everyone say that's the biggest thing. And at the minute, where is there just pure information that's wholesome, easy to access, quick? I don't think there's anything on the, in the world. Yeah, that's why I thought uh, I'll put my effort and and time and money behind this. So. Something I never understood, and you explained to me recently, was I never understood how you picked the people you, you know, the experts, the, the yeah. teachers, if you want, on Jack. Some of them are footballers and others are wrestlers and others are musicians. And why are those people there talking about well-being and mental health? So we've got three, for me, three different types of people, right? So you've got one's professors. So this is clinical information that is given in a really good way. And they're, these are top, top, top of the, I didn't realize how good these doctors were, right? Yeah. Until we had some doctors come in and say, you do realize you've got the Avengers of healthcare. <laughs> and because these are like gods in healthcare. So they give you really good clinical advice. Like what is depression? What is it? How, what medication side effects? That's really important. But what's more important for me more is people with lived experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the clinical is great, but if you ask one of our doctors on there for BDD, he's Professor David Ville, amazing guy, what's it like to have BDD? His answer is, I don't actually know. Why don't you go and ask Danny? Yeah. Right? Because they don't know what it actually feels like. And sometimes that, that's the disparity sometimes with people about doctors. Yeah. Well, they don't know how I feel. They're telling oh, yeah, me I'm, stuff. Yeah. So what we wanted to do is get people with lived experience. But for me, yeah. we've got people in there you would never know who've got amazing stories, doing amazing things in the space, right? They're running 20 marathons because they lost someone to suicide. Mm -hmm. They're on there talking about uh, losing someone uh, to suicide. But then we have got some very big names on there because we sort of talk about creating like a, I don't call it a cool brand, but a brand, I'm going to use an analogy, right? 16 year old lad, right? Is at school, plays football, not care in the world. Imagine he comes onto a platform like, oh, he's got all these experts, which is great, but maybe he's not going to go straight into an expert because he's not comfortable. Imagine if he sees someone that he knows, he's like, oh my God, that person's on here who's an ex-footballer or a footballer talking about mindset, talking about, oh, they had addiction. I'm going to go and ask him some questions. Oh, okay, well, he was really successful, but he was, but he had something. Yeah. Okay, but then they go and explore on our platform. So, you know, we've got UFC fighters on there. We've got... Alistair Campbell on there, David Harewood, the actor, you know, talking about his psychotic breakdown. And this is for me, is to break down the barriers around what people think mental health is. Totally people, if you say someone put mental health, they think it's someone, I'm not, I'm going to use something dressed in a straight jacket who's ill. Yeah. Okay. No, like we've got a range of people on there who you would never think. And then you go I love, and ask I love that. I, I mean, it reminds me of one of my absolute favorite conversations on, on slow-mo here. I hosted Ruby Wax. I'm sure you know Ruby. So Ruby is, for those who have not listened to the episode, is a, is a comedian, basically, that constantly makes fun of her own mental health issues. And, and, I, and I remember I asked her and I, and I spoke about depression and, and she said, Mo, have you ever really struggled with depression? And I said, yeah, at a younger age. And she said, you know, how does that feel like? And I, you know, I am reflecting and she said, 
It's like someone cuts your skull open and filled your entire body with concrete. Okay. And I have actually rarely ever heard someone put it so visually accurate yeah. as, you know, this is exactly how I felt, which by the way is truly how a lot of the time when we're depressed, this is how we feel. We're unable to do anything. We don't want to get up. We're unable to think. We're unable to, you know, to interact. But that idea of getting someone who's lived it and also someone who's a celebrity in the public eye so that you can actually say, I trust that this person has found a way through this. Is a very gives hope, right? Yeah, and it gives, just, yeah. So what you said, the other thing I'll flip on that, right? So a lot of people in my mind say, oh, I'm depressed. Look, and what, what was interesting to me with the doctor, uh, Paul Gilbert, one of the questions is, is, how do I know if I'm depressed, right? How do I know? It's how, actually a very good question. How do I know? And his answer blew me away because he said a lot of people think they have depressed or have depression, but a lot of the time they're just unhappy at that point. Mm. And there's a big differentiator, right? Where people, and I think sometimes people think they're depressed and then that spirals you into a worse mindset where actually if you go and ask these experts, well, look, do you know depression is, this is what it actually does to you. Oh, yeah. oh actually I might not have depression then. I might just be, unhappy, all of a sudden yeah, yeah, your yeah. mindset goes from, you know, so there's that flip, but the people that lived with, we get more interaction on lived with experience conversations than the doctors yeah. and people are more blown away with that because it gives hope mate and yeah. it gives someone oh my god he feels like i do it's normal and it gives you hope like that conversation i had with that husband and sorry girlfriend and boyfriend i it gave him hope because he knew i was in that position and actually i'm through it and i said trust me mate i've been there i know exactly how you feel it can get better and look this is what i did to help me you know, he, they messaged me the next day, so two days later, we've got more from that hour with you than the last two years. Amazing. Danny, so we speak about this a bit. This is a world where every technology out there has to start relying on artificial intelligence a little bit. And, you know, as much as I see the humane side of the platform, being able to speak to an expert or someone who lived the experience, even though you're not speaking to them directly, but they're really answering your question is wonderful. But there is a tech element to what you're doing. And you have a view of where AI can come in to help Jack become more effective. I ask that because I invested heavily in Appy, if, you've, uh, if you remember, which was an attempt to help people understand happiness using artificial intelligence. And sadly, I invested really, really heavily, a lot of time, a lot of effort, and the software developers, the company that we hired, really disappointed us. So eventually we ended up, you know, not doing Appy. But in, in a way, I'm still keen on understanding if there is a way for AI to help us become happier. What do you have in mind for that? It scares me a little bit, mate, if I'm honest, when you talk about AI. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because I talk about this, I literally talked about it last night, right? I think, you know, this whole e explosion at the minute about AI and chat GBT and it's scaring the hell out of a lot of people. And I get it. But one thing it is going to do is going to find out the shit from the good. Yeah. Because what's going to happen now, I can create a brand in 24 hours, right? I can literally go to a website in 48 hours drop ships and products in from anywhere, create a website that looks incredible that no one from the outside would know, right? That's it. It's just some bloke in his bedroom making money. Five years ago, that was quite difficult to do. Now it's easy to chat GBC. So people now are going to look into organizations a lot more about who are they? What's their story? What's their mission? Where's their content of what they're doing? So I think that's the positive. But with, our, with the AI around Jack, right, this whole search engine we've got, a lot of people don't know what they're looking for. 
Yeah. They don't know. Like, they're, they're, I just don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know. So imagine, Jack, where we can take it with AI, where someone could come on the platform and just explore and maybe answer a few questions and we can feed them up unbelievable answers by unbelievable people that can change their, that's all about how they're feeling. And you could get one expert Sandra, over here, lived with over here. And in 20 minutes, a half an hour of listening to this could change your mindset. That is where AI for me can be very powerful with Jack, where we've got these amazing real conversations. They're not fake. These are real people talking to you. It's not edited, but it's a way you can, out of all of the shit that's here, 10,000 questions, that'll be 50,000, 100,000 with us. Cause we're gonna add, add. I'm just gonna use this AI that's going to feed me up the best answers for me. I think that's a, a beautiful way of actually understanding what matters to humans is really where AI, I think, excels. As I speak about it constantly in, in Scary Smart, the idea is to direct AI to the applications that are good for human happiness, good for, good for human uh, well-being. And I think that's definitely how, how we can make uh, AI care about us a little more. I want to thank you very much for doing what you're doing. I, I really and honestly believe this could be a game changer. I invite every one of our listeners to go and visit jack.org. It's absolutely uh, free, 100%. Remember, this is early days of Jack, so expect a lot more as we go along. But what you will see today will blow you away. I think it's a, it's a concept that I personally believe will make finding an answer to something happen before 10 years of waiting when you're finally broken. And I think it's really something that for many of us is highly needed. Even I frequently go to Jack and just honestly ask a question just for the curiosity of it, just to learn about it. Danny, you've come a long way as a human uh, through those years. And I love your vulnerability in terms of saying, I've never really f overcome my challenges completely, but now I know where it is. I know how to handle it. What's your secret to happiness? What makes you the person that I so enjoyed spending time with? Um, do you know what? It's like people in here. It's, it's like if you support yourself, if you surround yourself with people who believe in you, it changes everything, mate. Like even you or like he's off camera, Steve, Ash, my mum. You know, I might come across really confident and stuff, and I am because I believe in Jack. I honestly think it could change the world, but I doubt it every day and doubt myself every day. You know, until you meet people, then actually say, no, you can do it and you can do that. So just make sure you surround yourself with the right people because they're the ones who make you happy. One of the best answers I've ever got to that question. I love you, man. You're amazing. I love what you stand for. I love the, the way you throw your life at it unconditionally. And I know that life somehow supports those who want to make life better. So I'm very grateful that you allow me to be part of your team, part of your support network. Pleasure, I, I, I'm very grateful for your time to come to speak to me about Jack. And I, uh, as I said, for all of us listening today, I truly put my, a lot of my effort behind this, not for the commercial side of it. I, I'm very much like Danny. I think our world has never been more desperate for something that can actually help us get out of our mental health challenges. And this might be an answer. This might be a door opener. Uh, so go, uh, go to jack.org and, and try it. J-A-A-Q. It's 100% free. And give us feedback and ideas, Danny and myself, on how to make it better. At the same time, 
I will ask each and everyone listening. This is the second time in two weeks that I get a message that says it's all about timing. One of the bits that really touched me in this conversation was how Danny said, I had no idea what was happening to me and none of the people around me even knew I was struggling that much. So my close friends knew it, didn't know what to do about it, but others didn't. It seems to be a theme in my life recently, how many people are struggling and we don't know about it. You might, yourself might be struggling and you don't know about it. So my ask of you is take it seriously. You know, if you feel a tiny bit of a sore throat, you react, you do something about it. I ask each and every one of us to take a, a mental health check. These are difficult times. And that if, if there is something that is bothering you, that's not making you feel tip top, then maybe you should do something about it. You should talk to someone, you should ask someone or go to Jack and ask a question. Once again, I'm very, very grateful for the time that you spend with me here on Slomo. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that you give me to create the environment where we can have those conversations. And uh, I ask you to continue to be curious about your own mental health, to give yourself an hour a day, an hour a week at least, where you can stop all of the rush and madness of the modern world and take a tiny bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.